Welcome to another episode of Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm your host, Jack Llewellyn, and this is the 10th episode of the first season of this podcast. And I thought this might be a good time to do a real quick reset for those of you who haven't followed along from the beginning. So first of all, who am I? My name is Jack Llewellyn, as I said, and I'm a lawyer. I started working on the Camarena case as the junior member of a team that represented Ruben Zuno Arce in two federal court trials, intermediate and subsequent appeals and various things. Uh, we started that case in, or I started working on that case in 1990 and worked on behalf of Mr. Zuno through most of the 90s. Uh, and then over the next two decades or so, I've paid attention to the case, done a little bit of investigating in the case. And then recently I published a creative nonfiction book titled Someone Had to Die that takes a deep dive into many of the allegations, the questions, the controversies relating to the Camarena case, but does so with a fictional narrative that I hope makes it a little bit more interesting than just a straightforward nonfiction book. We started the podcast, as I said, about nine weeks ago, ten weeks ago, and the idea was to at least in this first season, take a real good look and spend some time evaluating the Camarena case, the allegations that have been raised with respect to that case, some of the conspiracy theories, and things of that nature. And so we uh, started off looking at the case. We've looked at um, the last narc and the allegations in the last narc and and um, some other things, um, we talked about the interrogation tapes, the alleged conspiracy meetings, and then last week we started what I wanted to be a deep dive into the allegations that the CIA was somehow related to or involved in the unfortunate abduction interrogation and murder of Agent Camarena, whether that was by direct involvement, as has been alleged, uh, or direction and indirect involvement, as has been alleged by others. Um, and sometimes both of these allegations have been made by the same people at different times, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. And so last week we started off with the the principle of the major allegation relating to the CIA's involvement was that the CIA somehow was using drug traffickers in Guadalajara and in Mexico and through their involvement with these traffickers was funneling funds to the Nicaraguan Contras. And, and that would have, of course, been part of what came to be known as the Iran-Contra affair. So last week, we said, all right, let's talk about the Iran-Contra affair 
if we're going to say that was a precipitating factor or an important factor in what happened to Agent Camarena, then we'd ought to understand it. Today, we're going to talk about uh, a couple of more cases that may or may not inform on whether or not the CIA was involved in drug trafficking in the United States, in Mexico, or in South and Central America. Then next week, we're going to look a little bit deeper at the precise allegations that have been made uh, with respect to the CIA's involvement, the exact language used, and the exact support for it. And then the last episode of this kind of four-part series will be an analysis of how believable, if at all, are the allegations of CIA involvement. So that's where we've been, kind of where we're going. And then today, as I said, we're going to talk about two particular cases or two particular people. And sometimes if you're talking about CIA involvement in drug trafficking, people will say, ah, well, of course they've been involved because of these two particular cases. And we're going to look at them and analyze them. So it's really in the form of two different people, Gary Webb, the journalist, and Barry Seal, the pilot. And we're going to take a little bit of time to go through their cases, understand a little bit of what happened, and um, recap them in a way that informs us as to the exact um, basis for saying the CIA was involved. We're going to combine that then with what we did last week, when we start looking at the precise allegations next week, and then as we try to put some deep analysis into these allegations and reach some conclusions. So with that, let's talk for a little bit about Gary Webb. So Gary Webb was a journalist, and he published um, or wrote a three-part series called Dark Alliance in the San Jose Mercury News which ran from August 18 to August 20, 1996. In each of those three days, there was one long article and two shorter, shorter articles that appeared each day, both in the print edition and the online edition. One thing that's really important in talking about Webb's articles is to know exactly what was said and what wasn't. So bear with me. We're going to um, read exactly what was said in a couple of different places. So in the first article, the real theme of this three-part series, the Dark Alliance series, is laid out by uh, Mr. Webb. And he says, and this is a quote, for the better part of a decade, a San Francisco Bay Area drug ring sold tons of cocaine to the Crips and Bloods street gangs of Los Angeles and funneled millions in drug profits to a Latin, America, a Latin American guerrilla army run by the U.S. Central Intelligence <clears throat> excuse me, the, run by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. The um, article continues to assert that this particular drug ring opened the first pipeline between Colombia's cocaine cartels and the black neighborhoods of Los Angeles 
And that as a result of these actions, cocaine then started to flood into the urban areas in America and sparked the uh, crack explosion in America, particularly in urban America, particularly in black urban America. Webb's articles focused on three men in particular. Ricky Ross, who was a well-known major drug dealer in Los Angeles, and then two Nicaraguans, Oscar Delino Blandon and Norwin Meneses. These two Nicaraguans um, smuggled drugs into the United States and supplied dealers in the U.S., including but not limited to uh, Ricky Ross. When discussing Blandon and Meneses, uh, Webb really focuses on their relationship with the car- with the Contras and with the CIA. And it really highlights the failure or the alleged failure or what Webb sees as a failure of law enforcement agencies to prosecute either one of these men. The article is also credited, and that's obviously in air quotes, these three men for the rise of crack cocaine in the U.S. and really paid uh, particular attention and emphasized the disparate impact that crack has had on the black communities in, uh, in the United States. So these three articles came out, and there was quite a bit of notoriety, quite a bit of attention paid to them. Um, and as a result, there were four major federal investigations. There also were investigations conducted by the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, uh, the uh, web articles had um, raised an issue about a 1986 raid on Blandone's organization by the Sheriff's Department, um, which the article suggested, and and I think it's important to note, suggested without necessarily having uh, significant evidence to support it. But the article suggested that in this raid by the Sheriff's Department, the Sheriff's Department found evidence of connections between Blandone and the CIA and that those uh, connections and that evidence was later suppressed. We'll talk in just a minute about the the results of these investigations um, at, at the federal level. But I want to talk first about the reaction in the press. And after a little bit of um reporting on what Webb had said and the, the allegations and some notoriety, there became uh, a time when there was some real significant pushback in what I'll call the mainstream press, even though I hate that word. So some of the larger press organizations. So the first real detailed article on Webb's allegations came from the Washington Post and two reporters, Roberto Ciro and Walter Pincus. And in in essence, they alleged that the, quote, available information, close quote, did not support the series' claims. And they went on to say that the rise of crack cocaine in the United States was a broad-based phenomenon driven in numerous places by diverse players and the emphasis that Webb placed on Blandone and Manassas and Ross 
was really um, unwarranted and unsupported. Um, later on in um, the middle of October of that year, so again, you know, a month or two, two months or so after Webb's articles, the New York Times published two separate articles um, which described the evidence uh, cited by Webb in his series as being thin. And they cited interviews with current and former intelligence and law enforcement officials that questioned the importance of the drug dealers focused on in the series. So Blendone, uh, Manessas, and Ross. Um, and really questioned whether these people were important at all in the crack cocaine trade uh, viewed from uh, you know a, a macro view and questioned their role and their value in supporting the Contras efforts against the Sandinista government. The biggest article um, that came out was on October 20 through 22. So that's, you know, three days of articles. The Los Angeles Times ran this, and it had been researched by a team of 17 reporters. Get that, 17 reporters. Um, and amongst other things, the LA Times said that Blandone and Manessis' contributions to the Contra organizations and the efforts against the Sandinistas were significantly claimed or significantly less than claimed in uh, Webb's Dark Alliance series. Uh, and the LA Times also went on to say that there was no evidence the CIA had taken any actions to try to protect Blandone and Manessas from prosecution by local law enforcement officials. So, again, August, the Dark Alliance series is published, and significant rebuttals come out of the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the LA Times, you know, three of the larger, more prominent newspapers in the country within two months. The Mercury News itself started doing a um, investigation itself. Uh, while that was going on, Webb continued to work on on the story. Um, he went to Nicaragua a couple more times, and um, actually wrote uh, drafts of four more articles based on this trip. But um, the editors did not publish them, instead concluding that the new articles really did nothing to shore up or help um, with respect to the original series' claims. March of the following year, so in March of 1997, uh, the executive editor, editor of the paper, Jerry Kepos, um, told Webb that he was going to present the review of an internal investigation. And um, that 
review, internal review, internal investigation was documented and talked about in a column that was published by Kepos in um, the paper in a column on May 11, 1997. In this, the, the paper starts by saying, hey, this was a solidly documented series um, and that the you know the ring described did have um, connections to the Contras and did sell large quantities of cocaine in inner city Los Angeles. But the editor goes on to say that the series failed to meet the newspaper's standards in four areas. And I think it's important to understand what was alleged here. So he says that the failures in the series, the failures by Webb in his series, came in four areas. One, it presented only one interpretation of conflicting evidence, and in one case did not include information that contradicted a central assertion of the series. The series' estimate of the money involved was presented as a fact instead of as an estimate, the series oversimplified how the crack epidemic grew, and the series created impressions that were open to misinterpretation through imprecise language and graphics. So you have that investigation, that report by uh, the newspaper itself, and then in 1998, you start to get the... Um, the results of the federal investigations. And again, I, I almost all of these disparage or question the results of and the allegations of the web series. So in July of 1998, the Department of Justice Inspector General issues a report. Um, it talks about the investigations into Blandon, Manessas, and Ross, and it concludes that although the investigation suffered from various problems of communication and coordination, their successes and failures were determined by the normal dynamics that affect the scores of investigations of high-level drug traffickers. These factors, rather than anything as spectacular as a systematic effort by the CIA or any other intelligence agency to protect the drug trafficking activities of conscious supporters determined what occurred in the cases we examined. It also concluded that the claims that Blandone and Manassas were responsible for introducing crack cocaine into South Central Los Angeles and spreading the crack epidemic throughout the country were unsupported. Um, and it concluded that we did not find that their activities were responsible for the crack cocaine epidemic in South Central Los Angeles, much less the rise of crack throughout the nation, or that they were a significant source of support for the Contras. Um, the CIA Inspector General also issued a report. That report came out in... December of 1997, 
was in a couple of different volumes. Uh, the second volume actually didn't come out until October of 1998. The first volume of the CIA Inspector General's report found no evidence that any past or present employee of the CIA or anyone acting on behalf of the CIA had any direct or indirect dealing with Ross, Blandone, or Manassas, or that any of the other figures mentioned in Dark Alliance were ever employed by or associated with or contracted by the agency. It's a pretty broad denial. It also said, again, this is CIA Inspector General's report, that it found nothing to support the claim that drug trafficking activities of Blandone and Manessis were motivated by any commitment to support the Contra cause or Contra activities undertaken by the CIA. It did say, hey, they might have donated money to Contra sympathizers in Los Angeles, but really couldn't verify that information or uh, that the CIA, CIA had ever heard of it. Uh, and they also, of course, found no information to support the claim that the agency interfered with law enforcement actions against Ross, Blandone, or Menaces. Uh, and then lastly, the House Intelligence Committee issued a report in February of 2000 and it says examining the support that Manessis and Blandone gave to local contra organizations in San Francisco, it found that that support was not sufficient to finance the organization and did not constitute millions of dollars contrary to claims in the Dark Alliance series. Uh, it also found no evidence to support Webb's assertion that several other drug smugglers mentioned that the series were associated with the CIA or that anyone associated with the CIA or other intelligence agencies was involved in supplying or selling drugs in Los Angeles. So, where are we at? You have the web series, then you have high-profile attacks by three prominent newspapers, and then you have the House Intelligence Committee, the Department of Justice Inspector General, and the CIA Inspector General all coming out saying, nope, didn't happen. Um, you know, Webb went on to publish a book called The Dark Alliance. He eventually left the Mercury News after being transferred to the Sacramento um, beat. He worked at various places, and then he was found dead uh, on December 10, 2004, with two gunshot wounds to his head. His death was ruled a suicide by the Sacramento County Coroner's Office. Um, he, it's alleged that, um, or it, it was reported that he shot himself with a thirty-eight revolver. You know, a local newspaper and, and various press folks at the time said, wait a second, you know, it was a suicide, but there were two gunshots. Uh, the Sacramento County coroner in response to those questions says, it's unusual in a suicide case to have two shots, but it has been done in the past. And it is in fact, a distinct possibility. 
Um, Webb's ex-wife told the reporters that she believed that Webb had died by suicide. The way he was acting, it would be hard for me to believe it was anything other than suicide. Uh, she said that Webb had been unhappy for some time over his inability to get a job at another major newspaper, and he had, he had sold his house the week before his death because he was unable to afford the mortgage. So, um, Mr. Webb, in essence, was run out of his profession and uh, dies probably by suicide, but at least with some unique circumstances. want to take a, a couple more minutes and just read a couple of things because what we want to focus on is what really were the allegations? You know, what did Webb say in his articles? What did he claim and what is being spurred on or was spurred on by headlines, casual reading, those sorts of things? So, the um, the articles that were written kind of about this case, um, you know, again, the the ones from the Times and and the New York Times, L.A. Times, and the Washington Post, you know, really focused on the the claims that Blandone and Manessis were shielded from prosecution um, and that the CIA had some role in that. Uh, At one point, the news itself, the Mercury News, uh, proclaimed that it really didn't make these allegations. Um, And, you know, kind of went back and forth on what was being alleged, what hadn't been alleged. Um, The Mercury News itself at one point, and this is in connection with that that, um, article by the executive editor that says, okay, here's where it fails. Uh, You know, it does go on to say, the drug ring we wrote about inflicted terrible damage on inner city Los Angeles and that horror was indeed spread to many other places by L.A. gangs. Webb believes that it is what our series said. I believe that we implied much more and that the ring was a pivotal force in the crack epidemic in the United States. Because the national crack epidemic was a complex phenomenon that had more than one origin, our discussion of this issue needed to be clearer. Now, I think I want to read you just a couple more things. Um, At one point, again, the Mercury News, kind of talking about itself, said, it's impossible to believe that the Central Intelligence Agency didn't know about the conscious fundraising activities in Los Angeles, considering that the agency was bankrolling, recruiting, and essentially running the Contra operation. The CIA has a long history of embarrassing the country it is supposed to work for, from the Bay of Pigs in Cuba to the jungles of Vietnam. But no action that we know of can compare to the agency's complicit... One more time, sorry. But no action that we know of 
can compare to the agency's complicity, however tacit in the drug trade that devastated whole communities in our nation. And then there's two very interesting quotes from Gary Webb himself. And I really want you to think about both of these. Think about what they say and what they don't say and whether they are contradictory in any way. So at one point, Mr. Webb says, if we had met five five years ago, you wouldn't have found a more staunch defender of the newspaper industry than me. And then I wrote some stories that made me realize how sadly misplaced my bliss had been. The reason I'd enjoyed such smooth sailing for so long hadn't been, as I assumed, because I was careful and diligent and good at my job. The truth was that in all those years, I hadn't written anything important enough to suppress. He also says, in response to some comments uh, made by other reporters, he says, one thing I did, not, I did want to respond to directly is the reply. Sorry today, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not reading well today. One more time. One thing I did want to respond to directly is the writer who claimed there wasn't any proof of CIA involvement in this thing. That's like saying there's no proof of General Motors' involvement in the making of Chevrolets. So, um, you know, it's also important to note that one of this, the uh, symbols, so I, I told you the Mercury News had these articles on its website, and at one point the website devoted a particular um, section of its website just to these articles. The really interesting thing is for a long time it had a spy smoking a cigarette um, and uh, it, it said something about the CIA and I can't find it in my notes here so I apologize but the inference that the CIA was involved in the cocaine trafficking and the crack epidemic was very, very queer from this um, symbol uh, or this silhouette figure on the website. All right. That was a very, that was a little bit longer than I expected. But that tells you a little bit about what was going on with Gary Webb and gives you an, an understanding of the back and forth assertions, the different players of was the CIA involved? Was the CIA not involved? Um, you know, what really were the role of these uh, these drug traffickers with the Contras, those sorts of things. And again, keep in mind what we're doing is getting a base of knowledge so that we can evaluate the specific allegations in the Camarena case. Now, one other thing we want to talk about is we want to talk about Barry Seal. And this will be a little bit shorter, or quite a bit shorter. Um, Barry Seal was a pilot. And Barry Seal was the subject of the movie American Me, starring uh, Tom Cruise. Let me say a couple things real quickly. Uh, Barry Seal doesn't look like Tom Cruise. 
uh, and the movie is highly, highly, highly fictionalized. Maybe um, entertaining, but highly fictionalized. So please don't read or don't go out and watch the movie and think that everything in there is accurate. So who was Barry Seal? Barry Seal um, was born in Louisiana. As a teenager, became a pilot, enlisted with the Louisiana National Guard in 1962. Um, And he uh, was assigned at one point to the 20th Special Forces Group, graduated from the United States Army Airborne School, and um, had various other functions. We'll talk about um, something when he was a little bit younger. In... uh, 1964, he joined TWA, ended up becoming a captain, uh, flying the Boeing 707 on a um, regular route to Western Europe. Uh, He was one of the youngest 707 pilots uh, in the fleet. His career with TWA ended in 1972 when he was arrested for involvement in a conspiracy to smuggle a shipment of plastic explosives to Mexico. Uh, he was fired because he'd taken, uh, falsely taken medical leave to participate in the scheme. Uh, he starts smuggling drugs in, uh, in 1976 or so. He becomes friends with uh, somebody who was a well-known smuggler, um, who, by the way, um, also asserted that he had given bribes to the Clintons because he was dropping drugs off at a location in Arizona. Um, in the early 1980s, uh, he had um, become uh, prominent with smoking or smuggling cocaine for the Medellin cartel. Uh, at his peak, it is said that he earned as much as $500,000 per flight. Uh, transporting shipments of cocaine from Colombia into the U.S. Um, had a variety of, um, of different actions in 1981 uh, and through about 1983. He gets crossways with the DEA. Um, he gets introduced to a DEA informant. And um, involved with undercover DE agents. uh, And eventually there were indictments against him. Uh, He surrendered to federal authorities in April of 1983. Tried to make a deal. And and eventually becomes an informant for the DEA. And um, and, and that's after a a conviction in Florida. Becomes... um, an informant for the DEA in uh, drug forces, drug task force in um, Florida and Louisiana, uh, eventually becomes involved in flying drugs to and from Colombia into and via Nicaragua um, and spends a great deal of time in Nicaragua, does a little bit more um, undercover work in the United States. And, um, then he starts to have more and more, uh, legal issues. 
Uh, he gets investigated further, and uh, in October of 1984, there are more uh, charges against him. Uh, eventually, uh, Seal goes to is taken into custody in 1985, and spends several months testifying in court against the Medellin cartel and those associated with them. Uh, he has um, a, a variety of trials, and he ends up getting sentenced to um, or from charges and different indictments, both in Florida and in Louisiana. He eventually gets um, uh, probation in Louisiana, and uh, he can't um, he, while, when he's released on probation. He uh, is banned from employing security personnel and ordered to spend uh, every night at a halfway house for the first six months. He uh, is assigned to a Salvation Army Center in Baton Rouge. On the evening of February 19, 1986, he is shot to death in front of that uh, Salvation Army three weeks into his probation. Um. Six Colombians were arrested and tried for his uh, murder. There were allegations that the murder was um, a direct result of um, a hit put out on him or a contract put out on him by the Ochoa brothers and uh, Pablo Escobar. So that's kind of the... um, you know, uh, um, the big things that happened in his life. Apologize if that was kind of a quick review of them. Um, in 1988, the House Judiciary Committee looked into Seal's 1984 trip to Nicaragua. Um, there were allegations made by a DEA agent that the leak regarding this 1984 trip had come from an aide in the White House and um, that Oliver North was somehow related to a couple of meetings regarding um, an operation in Nicaragua. There were also um, strong suggestions that uh, North himself was the one who made this leak And then later on, there were a number of complaints that the U.S. really did nothing to protect SEAL. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, in um, SEAL's trunk, he had a a number of things, uh, a number of personal effects, but he also had the personal number of George H.W. Bush, then the uh, vice president of the United States previously, as we talked about last week, someone who had been the head of the CIA and was likely instrumental in the beginnings of the Iran-Contra affair and putting various players, including Oliver North and and, uh, others, together uh, to 
facilitate the activities to fund the Contras in um, Nicaragua. Okay, so what does that mean? What do we know about Barry Seal? And then we're going to talk, i got a couple of interesting things to, to conclude with here. So what we know for sure is that there's very, very, very little that directly ties Barry Seal to the CIA. Clearly, there are, you know, the actions of the CIA moving, you know, potentially moving drugs through other folks into the United States, whether that's um, the gentleman I referred to earlier, um, whose name is... Give me one second. Don't go away. Uh, William Roger Reeves. This is the one who was a big trafficker, moved stuff back and forth, said that he bribed the Clintons, said that he worked with the CIA. Really what you have with respect to SEAL, for the most part, is work with the DEA. Okay, So that's number one. But, 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 here's where things get interesting. And here's also where you got to be really careful. There are so many rabbit holes in this case. So many rabbit holes. But here's the interesting one. There is a photo taken. July 23, 1955. A 16-year-old Baton Rouge Civil Air Cadet uh, by the name of Barry Seal is getting on a plane where he's going to a two-week training camp at Barksdale Air Force Base in Shreveport, Louisiana. Interestingly enough, who was also at Barksdale Air Force Base in 1955? Can name two people. Lee Harvey Oswald, you all probably know, and David Ferry, who is alleged to have had significant involvement in the assassination of President Kennedy, or at least in activities relating to that time period. So that's number one. Number two is there is a picture here of... um, men working at an Air Force, a different Air Force base in um, Louisiana with the Civil Air Patrol. And this is in August of 1955, where we see David Ferry and Lee Harvey Oswald, plain as can be. Now, what's interesting is there's no evidence, I don't think, that Oswald, Ferry, and Seal were all there at the same time. There's some allegations that they were, but there's also evidence, kind of more direct evidence, that they didn't necessarily overlap. But what we do know for sure is they were all in the same group, all in that summer, fall of 1955. Then there is a picture from January 22nd, 1963. And I'm going to put this picture up on my website tomorrow. Okay. JackLewellen.com. J-A-C-K-L-U-E-L-L-E-N. In case you haven't seen this picture. 
And it is a picture of folks who were known to be in a group known as Operation 40. Now, what is Operation 40, you might ask? Well, Operation 40 it was the code name for a CIA-sponsored counterintelligence group composed mostly of Cuban exiles. The group was formed to seize control of the Cuban government after the Bay of Pigs operation. Operation 40 continued to operate unofficially until it disbanded in 1970, largely disbanded because of allegations um, that an aircraft carrying cocaine and heroin in support of Operation 40 crashed in California. Um, it had been approved by President Eisenhower in March of 60 and um, ended up being presided over by Vice President Nixon. The group um, was involved in sabotage operations, uh, efforts to organize, train, and equip Cuban refugees as a guerrilla force. Um, the group sought to incite um, civil war in Cuba. It was involved in the Bay of Pigs um, and did various other things. Okay, so what's the point? So this picture, it's a famous picture. Most of you have probably seen it. Picture at a... Um, at a nightclub, and you've got a bunch of men sitting at a table. Amongst the people sitting at the table is, and, and bear with me because I'm going to come back to this point. It's alleged that CIA operative Felix Rodriguez is there. Um, then you have um, Porter Ghosts. Or Goss, excuse me, who was the head of the CIA under George W. Bush. Then you have Barry Seal. Uh, then you have another person who was involved in uh, the Bay of Pigs. And then you have uh, a couple of CIA agents, including uh, William Seymour, Frank Sturgis, and potentially Tosh Plumley. So... Again, you have this whole story of Barry Seal flying for the C or for the DEA, Medellin cartel, going to Nicaragua, very little proof of connections to the CIA, and yet you have direct connections with Seal to uh, Oswald and Ferry and activities with the Civil Air Patrol, and this picture then eight years after that. Um, of him with Operation 40. So, that's where the facts that we know stop. Now, one thing I really, really want to note, and we're going to come back to this um, in subsequent episodes, but when you look at this picture, there's a person leaning over very front, laughing right there. Everybody in the world seems to say, every citation to this picture seems to say it, that is uh, Felix Rodriguez. I can tell you with absolute certainty that the DEA says 
that that absolutely 100% is not Felix Rodriguez. Take that for whatever it's worth to you. Lots of citations that that's Felix. DEA says it's not. But what we do know is this is a CIA organization and Barry Seal is sitting there with them, including several CIA operatives. So, you can start forming answers yourselves, formulating hypotheses of what his role with the CIA and with the Contras might have been, and more to our specific point, what that says about the potential role of the CIA in the drug trade in America and in South America. All right. I think this is our longest episode so far. So again, now we've done two things. We've learned about what the Iran-Contra affair was, why it was important, what its timeline was. We also now know that there are other allegations of CIA involvement in drug trafficking and that some of those allegations have issues relating to them. Not in any way, in any way am I suggesting that the stories of Gary Webb and Barry Seal are the only ones out there, but they are well-known ones, and I thought that they were good examples to lead into our analysis with. So with those two things in mind, those sets of facts in mind, next week... We're going to take a very careful look at what exactly was said in the last NARC and other places, exactly what the allegations of CIA involvement are, and exactly what support there is for those allegations, Um, at least as presented by those alleging or making those claims. So what did they say and what basis did they have for saying it? Then we can determine and start asking questions and concluding for ourselves whether those allegations have any merit to them or not. All right. Once again, thank you for sticking with me on this one. Uh, Thanks for uh, listening in. If you like it, if you're enjoying this, uh, tell others. If you have comments, if you want to hear something else, If you have different ideas on topics, where we can go with this, email me anytime. I always like getting feedback. All right. Thank you much and have a great week.